Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we have a brand new guest on the show talking about uh, their life, their experience, their martial arts background, and everything else they're working on and everything in between. Uh, my guest today has a career spanning over 40 years, got to start as a model and a dancer, even being featured in music videos with artists like Duran Duran and Sheena Easton. He moved into acting and was seen on TV series like The Colbys, Beauty and the Beast, and more. And martial arts fans might have seen him recently in 2019. He was on the CW hit mega show Arrow playing the villain Dante. But of course, one of his most famous roles was as the sword-yielding immortal Duncan McLeod for six years on the series Highlander. Please welcome to the show today, Mr. Adrian Paul. How are you doing today, sir? Hi, how are you? <laughs> what, a, what a resume you're sending out for me. That's good. <laughs> well, I also do voiceover for, for a living, so I try to make sure my intros sound good. So... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I actually, I would have said something that Bill Shatner said to me about three weeks ago when he was on the Hollywood Experience, which is my, the podcast I do. Nice. And he said, "Well, easy on, easy on the on the old bit, and easy on the forty years." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, forty years." I, yeah, I realize I've been doing it for you forty years. It's quite quite an amount of time, That's but good, it does though. date you. <laughs> nice. Well, like we do with all my guests, I kind of go back to the beginning. I want to know what led to that first spark, that first interest in martial arts, and kind of what got you involved in your first training in martial arts. Uh, fighting. I basically was. I had a bad temper. Really? And, uh, you know, I'm Italian, so what can I tell you? <laughs> so I always knew I had to have something that kind of gave me a little bit of discipline. So I, I didn't do it as a young boy. I wish I had, you know, back in England when I was a kid, you know, you would kind of just, I used to play rugby and soccer and, you know, rugby was, I was always in fights in rugby or after mm -hmm. school and stuff. And, you know, but martial arts really didn't come into effect until the like the, the late 80s type of when it started going, oh, what is this? You know, brought over, of course, by, by the Chinese films that came out. And so the interest in martial arts uh, really only started, you know, worldwide, I think around that time. And then it was kind of seeped into um, the culture. And so I started late and I started really when I got to Los Angeles, I'd done some kickboxing and some boxing and things of that nature. But really, you know, it was Highlander that uh, really spurred me into it because, you know, I realized that, you know, I can't look like I know what I'm doing unless I know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> Um, you know, I really started studying, you know, uh, several hours a day, you know, most days of the week and continued. So that's kind of, kind of how it started for me. Well, and I read you actually did study some sword before Highlander. Yeah, that was about a year, okay. a year before. Um, it wasn't very long. Uh, it was, uh, and it was basic. It was a, with a katana. It was from a Vietnam vet. I had really no qualifications in that, but he, he, he'd studied it. And so he just taught me some, you know, small basics. And so I got to learn, but, you know, it was not, not a lot, really. It was really, again, Bob Anderson, uh, who uh, was the sword master on Highlander. Those of you that don't know who he is, he was uh, 
he's, he, he passed on about four years ago, but uh, four, five, I don't know, time's passed now, maybe five years ago. But uh, Bob was an amazing individual. He did all the, he was the guy in the, the, the choreography for Star Wars and um, Lord of the Rings and uh, Highlander and First Night. Uh, he was the Olympic co- the coach for the Olympic fencing team for 30 years. Oh, wow. I mean, he was an amazing individual. And, you know, I, I learned really sword work. I learned more the European style, even though I was using a katana because his style was very much into uh, epee and saber. Okay. And what, you know, you've, I read somewhere you've studied some other styles too. I, I think I read Hungar and a few other styles. Yeah, that was my martial arts style. Hungar, Choilifoot, Samyankin, which are all Chinese-based styles. Choilifoot was really, you know, it's a, it's a style that was used for warfare. And the reason why it was used for warfare was because they couldn't teach the peasants quick enough how to fight. So they create this huge wide style that you could kind of hit two people at once or be in the middle of a, a melee and, you know, try and get yourself not killed or, or <laughs> right. knocked down. So it was that that type of style. And then, you know, I also studied Shaolin Kung Fu. Um, but I, also, I worked a lot with a lot of different people and I would go to their dojos and, when, you know, there's a guy called Rick Farashi who, who, who's passed on since many years ago, a big guy. He was, he was a... He was in uh, uh, Karate Kempo, I believe is his style. Okay. Karate, much more, totally different type of style than I was used to. Uh, was the ice break, world ice-breaking champion. Uh, had, b- b- drove, uh, you know, nails into wood. He was the champion of trying to do that. I mean, a lot of stuff of this nature. So his, I studied a little bit with him. We would always share things. He became a friend of mine. Uh, and all the other martial artists that came on the show. Um, you know, there were a lot of stunt guys that were martial artists at that point and uh there was a lot of different styles coming about so we, you you look at the techniques and, and work with that so That's i was lucky one thing i noticed too with the show i mean i i rewatched it recently too just because I'm, I'm a fan of the show and i noticed the you know the first few seasons it was great you know there was great martial arts it was, it was great choreography but it, it got better every season and, yeah, and yeah definitely yeah. you got better every season too <laughs> Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you can just see by the way I'm holding the sword. That's the very basic thing. I mean, it's anybody. Well, it's like anything. When you, when you've done any type of um, activity that you've done frequently, you can normally tell when somebody comes up to you and stands or picks up an object or whatever to see whether or not they actually know what they're doing. It's like riding a horse. The minute somebody gets on a horse, you just have to look at their feet to see whether their their feet are up or down in the stirrups to tell whether they're actually a horse rider or not you know, how they're sitting in the horse. I mean, it's the same type of thing. Okay. I also, I mentioned uh, you were on, you know, the a few episodes of Arrow, you know, playing Dante, which I, I loved your, your fight scene with Oliver Queen. So had you had experience throwing knives and stuff before that? No, actually, I mean, uh, the, the knife throwing, really, that's, that's visual effects to a degree, but I did throw <laughs> knives when I was uh, younger. I had thrown knives. So uh, I learned a little bit about throwing. Um, I used to have one of those very short steel, which would you get, I think it was 11 feet from the target. And so I practiced that, but that was really it. I mean, you know, a lot of the shows, a lot of those shows in arrow, the the stunt guys do the majority of the fighting because they just don't have time to teach somebody and, and go over it and then get, especially, you know, um, trying to teach the lead some of the stuff as well in this schedule. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the fights in that were were done through, are done through stunts. I know you mentioned stunts. Now, just to back up a little bit again on Highlander. Now, on that show, you did majority of your own stunts, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what was the the worst injury you suffered while doing Highlander? I'm just curious. Uh, landed on my head uh, one time from about six, well, no more than six feet, probably about eight feet high. Ouch! That was that was not pleasant. Um, I've been I was split open on my finger most weeks. That's why when I in the sword experience, which is the company I have now. 
the one thing we deal with on our academy events is talking about targeting and knowing where the targeting and it doesn't necessarily just talk about for um doing it in sort it in on film because to save your fingers it's actually really beneficial to those people that do HEMA or martial art competitions or anything of that nature, because you really have to be specific on your target and know where you're going. A lot of places don't teach that. They teach, okay, here's the technique and this is what we do. But really, if you're targeting, if you want to hit a, a certain point or, or cut through a piece of armor or do something on, you can really know where you're aiming for. I think that was one of the reasons why, you know, I was, I was getting hit a lot was because, okay, you're swinging left to right, but that left to right, there's a lot of distance between the shoulder and the hip. So, you know, you you would constantly be adjusting with people that would come in that would just be given that movement. And when you, as an actor, take over a role, a lot of the time, it's, it's the adrenaline takes over becoming the character and you forget the choreography. And the two really have to have to match when you're working on screen, because if you don't, then, you know, you're going to have problems. So now you mentioned the, your company, the Sword Experience. I want to just talk a little bit about how that started and what made you want to start teaching other people how to use the sword. Uh, gosh, I mean, people have t- asked me many, 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 many times to to do a sword video or to do some sort of sword technique demonstration, and I was I was reticent to do that because, uh, firstly, yes, I've done a lot of sword, and yes, I've 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 taught with a lot of different people and or, or, uh, worked with a lot of people. But, you know, every style has a specific way that they do things. And I couldn't really say to somebody, yeah, well, I'm teaching you this style because I just didn't think I had the qualifications to really teach that. What I could tell you is I could tell you about foot movement. I could tell you about targeting. I could tell you about distance. I could do, I could talk about swing. I could talk about a lot of different things. So I didn't want to get into the, well, you know, this style is what we're teaching. Then somebody from the style would go, oh, no, that's not how you do it. You do it this way. So I wasn't interested. That was one reason why I didn't want to start doing it that way. When the sword experience came about, the reason why it's an experience is because it's not just about sword. It's about the people that you meet. It's about the places that we go to because we go to castles and vineyards. We've got a uh, a retreat coming in in Cancun or or Tulum actually um, in December. We we going to well, coming close to where you are, Minneapolis in uh, in October. So we go to all these different places, and it's about the the, the experience of being there, it's the experience of what it's like to be in the movies. Because we also put a um, you know when we teach the sort of experience, the regular events, the elite or the convention events. I write a script based on what the event is based on. Oh, really? And the script gets written uh, and people get to uh, act little parts out there. And then there's there's a story behind each one of them and we film it. We cut it together. We edit it. Ends up being a five, six, seven, eight minute piece that you can, you know, then show that you've actually been in like a movie in a sense. So you kind of get to understand what it's like for the camera work. Um, Our elite events, uh, our academy events, uh, really are based about that, about targeting, about where the camera movement is, all that type of stuff. So it's a, a little bit uh, of a different type of thing that uh, that we've brought about. And I don't think really many other people are doing this. I've, never, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I was just reading kind of the differences. And, you know, when you go to the Academy event, like the one coming near me that I'm hopefully going to make, uh, you have three options. You can do the fitness, the technique, and the performance. You want to just give a little brief overview on the main differences, what people would experience in each one of those? Yeah, I mean, you can do all three, which is probably the best thing to do because usually what I try to do is what you're learning in the fitness version is the is the initial movements that you're going to be learning in the technique. And the technique ver- version is what the movements you're going to do in the choreography. 
So each one of them actually has a benefit to the other, but they are individuals. So you could take the fitness one and get a good workout for the fitness um, because I re- I tend to work for from the, the basis of you've got to warm up the joints, you've got to warm up the muscles, you've got to get into that first before you can even start swinging a sword. And so it's it's, it's a it's a one hour class of different types of techniques for, for that utilize a light weight, if you call it, with a sword that actually you can use for stretching, that you can use for um, uh, leg work, arm work. Uh, and you know there is a, a good 12 minute um, intense workout at the end wow. that people go through that we build up to throughout that uh, one hour and then the technique version we go depending on the the place i go to because there's a lot of different techniques we utilize we utilize things like uh, the sword experience numbering system which te- teaches you where to go for that particular number so i can tell uh, two people okay let's do a number one you will know the defense and you know the attack Oh, sorry, you're defending and you're attacking. So let's do a one, three, and a four. Well, if they've already learned the one, three, and a four, they know where those positions are. It's very simple to teach them that that position. Uh, then we talk about, then we do things like targeting uh, practices, uh, uh, space uh, awareness, um, uh, footwork, uh, a lot of different things that uh, apply in the um, in the uh, the technique of actually swinging a sword or applying yourself to um, utilizing a sword. And then the choreography portion of it is taking all the numbers that you've been working on in the technique and putting it together all together as a fight in fr- with somebody. And, um, you know, it really puts you in a space. And then I talk about, you know, how you're working in a, re- a rehearsal space. A lot of the time, rehearsal space is flat. When you go out on a set or when you go out in a fight, in reality, you can't, you've got to take into account the location that you're at. You know, so a certain technique doesn't matter what martial art you study. If you're inside a doorway, that might not work. So you have to adapt. And one of the things you know I tell people is what I think is one of the most important um, comments that I've I've had is uh, I've heard, and I, I repeat this to a lot of my people that come through there is that especially in the academy events is that for a species to survive, it has nothing to do with its strength or its intelligence, but with its ability to adapt. And I think especially now that's even more important with this pandemic that we have, that you have to understand what that the relevance of that particular subject means. But it really does apply to martial arts. So you mentioned the pandemic. Now, how much did that hurt the sword experience? You know, like last year, were you able to still do some events with restrictions or did you have to take a break for a little while? No, we, we had restrictions. But uh, we I mean, if you take into account, uh, we on average, we, in 2019, we did about 25, 27 events, I think it was. Okay. Uh, I did six in 2020. Oh, okay. So the, <laughs> it was a very large uh, difference right. in, the, in the two. Uh, this year, we're, we're probably up to 15, 16. I don't know. I don't even know how many we've done this year, but we've done a lot this year. Com- okay. you know, starting from March, obviously, you know, we, you lose usually December and January because there's people have Christmas at December time and January people are still kind of figuring the year out. And then February things start, we start uh, working back up. We, we lost February, March and April, I think it was. I think actually, I think we had one event in April, but then the next one was, I think, one in May. And then like, like I think we have four in June and then we had three in July and then we had another three in August. So, you know, we started um, putting them together again. But, you know, it, it, it does you need a good you need a good solid three months four months really to to put an event or if i'm doing european events i usually try to do it six months ahead wow so that people can do you know trips because i i, I t- mentioned i do retreats mm-hmm. one of the retreats we had to cancel in 2019 was ireland uh we were going to do one at, at an abbey uh at a castle and then we were going on to an abbey 
there was the sightseeing around there was a beautiful area. Uh, I may do may do one in Scotland next year, um, but you know I'm st- I still like doing those, and especially you then have the locals that lo- enjoy it, but then you also have people from America there who want to take a trip and want to go and visit those places where they've always wanted to go. And why not do do a sort of experience while they're there? So it gives you both us. So I've done events. I've done nine countries so far. I've done uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, um, France, Germany. Um, where else have I been? Uh, gosh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, United States. So we've we've done you know a lot, and, and it, there is a real love and, and a real comparison to what people do. So and the variety of people that come through are you know martial artists. We have come through to see what they you know to practice something they might have been doing in the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, regular fans coming through, cosplayers, um, stunt performers, people that. Uh, have done uh, choreography for stage and screen actors, you know, so we have a real large variety in the age group. You know, I, I don't usually do anything under 15, 16 years old right. because of the height difference, uh, usually with a sword. Uh, but there are sometimes I'll have a 13 or 14 year old kid that, you know, is a little taller, knows what he's doing, et cetera. And uh, can keep the attention span because that's another thing that happens when you're younger. The attention spans don't usually stay very long. That is true. So it's really, you know, it's, it's I've got three kids, so I know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> yep. about. You know, so um, it's a, so that really, and I've had, you know, ladies 70, 75 years old, you know, nice. uh, you know, got come through it. Um, and I say to people, do what you can. And I've, you know, I just did an event in um, Bowling Green, Kentucky. And the first time I've actually done, a two-on-one fight, so which is hot. I thought it was going to be harder, but actually it's not because what I find is a lot of the time when you face somebody, you're afraid of screwing up. Whether you've got a martial, you know, you're in, in a martial art class, you've got a certain technique you're trying to do. Well, if you want it to be look really good, it normally takes a few more moves, a few more things to actually make it on film sell. So when you have two people that are not as accomplished or uncertain about what they're doing the fight between them is going to look really really slow and not very efficient and uh, but then when you put somebody that's not so great with somebody that's mediocre and somebody that's really good all of a sudden those people help this other person along so it's not always it's the same thing as i do when i do my corporate events i don't i say to people it's not about your customer isn't your adversary your customer is your partner so think of it being a partner as you're in on on screen or in in your office, so when you come up to a new client, think of them as a partner. And think about it. Think about working with them as if you had a sword in the hand, because you wouldn't you wouldn't turn around and somebody say, "I'm not going to do that. I hate you." Blah. blah. If you got a sword in your hand, because it's a totally different conversation, right? Right. You got a weapon in your hand. People's going to go, eh, you know, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk. About-. And that's what corporate sides should look at a little bit more. Okay. So I, I need to, I think I need to book a retreat and tell my wife we're going on a vacation for our wedding anniversary. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to learn, we're going to learn. When's your wedding anniversary? Next year is, next year's 25. <laughs> oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if she'd go for that, but maybe we'd suddenly we'd get to Australia and be like, Oh, by the way, we're going to learn sword fighting today. <laughs> well, that was another vacation. I was going to go another location. I was going to go to, uh, at some point. Nice. But, uh, you we'll know, have to see. I'll have to talk into it. Now, you mentioned you have kids. So have your kids, have you got your kids involved in martial arts yet? Uh, my son did, yeah. My son was, uh, he had basic Taekwondo um, um, stuff, but it was more about teaching him discipline and structure and things. But he was actually getting pretty good. Then we, at the pandemic, we took him out and he hasn't gone back yet. I mean, he plays soccer all the time and he's also tennis. I mean, 
with three kids when i've got two we had two into events one's got dance the other one's got act and then acting and then there's freaking um martial arts or, or the soccer mm. and tennis i mean I, and then there's the third one and you just go ah oh. you know <laughs> then I, have, I have three also studies. So I, I know what you're talking about i have a well, it's just it's a juggle yeah. it's a juggle if you don't have kids you don't understand it yeah luckily one <laughs> one of mine's out of the house now my oldest is 22 and then i have a 17 year old and a 15 year old so we have a, a senior, oh, you're almost senior done. and a freshman yeah you're almost done <laughs> yep but like you said they're busy we have you know, all three of them were theater kids so they've all done acting all three of them did different sports they all did martial arts at one point or another so our our, our high school kids our seniors are busiest one he does theater he does three sports he does speech so it's like but luckily he can drive so i don't have to run him around as much well that's the thing isn't it it's it's a question of like having time to do it if you want to do two or three of them good drive yourself there exactly um you know (laughs) it does make a difference so no but i definitely that the retreat sounds like fun i I might seriously have to look into that and see if i can well the retreat usually is about four three four days that'd be fun um depending on which which one we do i mean the european one was uh, in arensburg germany was three days um usually i find three or four days is enough because you can visit the place because what we do we do a whole tour you know usually on our retreats we uh scout the location we're going to and see what other things we can offer people our, our cancun uh tulum one which is actually uh, riviera Maya, where we're in that one would have uh swimming with turtles and cool. uh mayan ruins and cenotes which are on ground or underground watering areas which you can swim in as well as sword stuff paddle boarding so all this different stuff you can do during the day so you're going to train but you've also got everything so everything's kind of included as well as the meals and all that stuff so it's it's a it's a trip that um is a bit different than what you do um so it's full of everything so the same thing applies to where we go if we went to ireland we were going to do the castle we were staying in it's a it's a more of a manor house castle but beautiful castle had beautiful grounds in front for training and then but there's an there's abbeys nearby and there's an amazing uh scenic um cliffs and stuff nearby that you can visit wow. there's a irish pubs that we we're going to go to there's all these different things in that particular one that we'd, we'd already planned uh, obviously we had to come but that's right. what we do with the, with the retreats we try to make it an experience that's why it's called the sword experience so that you can kind of get away and you know have fun and learn at the same time Nice. And that website is swordxp.com. And I will definitely share the link in the show notes for you because get people going out there and checking that out. But so question for you. So now you, you started martial arts as an adult and, and you kind of, you were doing Highlander in the nineties. I'm curious. Another thing that happened in the nineties was kind of the emergence of MMA and the UFC. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Are you a fan of MMA at all? Yeah, actually I am. I think it's, listen, martial arts, I think, you know, they've been hidden for so long. And it's like anything. Somebody comes up with this thing and says, well, this is a style. This is what it is. MMA is the evolution of that. And I think uh, the thing about MMA is there's restrictions in MMA as well. You can't do certain things like use energy punches or poke people in the eyes or the throat or the the ears, things like that. But it does really teach you how to be in the ring. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how our cultures now embrace that. It's bloodier than ever. Um, right, and I, I think it's uh, I think it's good to understand to, to have that because it really does apply. But like I said, there's certain secrets in martial arts that I think you cannot translate to MMA. And you know, if you know what you're doing, um, it can uh, it can be a surprise to somebody um, that does MMA. But that said, there's a Chinese um, 
a lot of the martial arts in China, there's a lot of masters, et cetera, et cetera. And there was, there's one guy he's trained for a number of years. He's Chinese. He, I can't remember his name and he does MMA and he challenged a lot of these masters. He said, you know, I'll challenge you. And he took him down. And so they hate him now because he's exposed the fact that, you know, a lot of the freely, you know, movements, et cetera, might not work if you're, you know, attacking in a certain way, you know what you're doing and take, and you can take a punch, you know? So, um, it's kind of a disillusion, some of the, the Chinese culture, because it's, it's, it's part of the culture. And now you're attacking the culture, uh, not the martial art. So right. it's, he's getting a lot of flack for it. Nice. So if you had to pick one martial artist that you admire, would there be someone at the top of that list, whether it's someone you've actually trained with or maybe just someone you've, you've read about or, you know, from a movie or something, is there one that stands on the top of your list? Oh, you know, I, I, obviously old school wise, I mean, I like, I actually, I mean, martial art wise, um, I think there are a lot of teachers I know nothing about mm -hmm. who I would probably revere. Um, I do revere my teacher, um, Sifu Vernon Rieda, who is actually in, in Hawaii because he's, he's studied for, you know, um, 60 years now, 50, 60 years. Wow. And you cannot not accomplish something or know something. And he's not big, but I mean, he's lethal. Right. I remember, you know, I fought him in one of the Highlander episodes and, and you know, touching arms with him was like touching mine against a steel pole. Um, you know, one of the other people I also work with, um, Mark Makita, who um, is uh, Filipino martial arts, um, a very talented man. And, and again, like MMA takes the, um, the essence of what it was like, because he comes from the Danny Santo uh, school and, uh, the Bruce Lee, Danny Santo, and a lot of students that study with him came to study with Mark, and a lot of them are doing the techniques that they learn. And Mark has this way of actually um, using the flow and understanding what this position is and not being in the position to allow them to use the technique. And they're going, well, why does that te technique work? And he says, well, because I didn't allow you for me to be in the position for you to do that technique. And people, martial artists tend, tend to don't understand that, that, okay, this technique is, is great. If this person is in this position at this particular time, but things change, right? As I said before, you have to adapt. adapt. So you have to have all these different things. And I heard one martial artist, I can't remember who it was said it, but he said, you know, as a, as a, a street fighter has uh, one or two things that they do three or four things that they do well. But I, what I do is I take it from all these things. And every time they come with something that I don't know, I've adapted to something else. And I think that's part of it. You have to understand that you have to really be able to pull from different things because, because not everybody's going to do the way you think it's going to come at you. Right. Oh, you know, that, that makes perfect sense. So do you have a favorite martial arts book? No. I don't. Okay, no problem. <laughs> some, some of these don't have answers. So, <laughs> how about now? You can't pick Highlander. Do you have a favorite martial arts TV series? Um, you know, as a kid, I I watched Kung Fu, and that was yep. kind of interesting. Watching it as kind of, Into the Badlands had a really good, um, uh, some good good stuff in in it. I also liked. Um, I watched a couple of episodes of this with Donnie Yen, and I forgot the name of it. It was Oh It Man. Yeah, it might have been it. Man. Well, he did it, man, as the as the film, and I actually fought Donnie in um, in Highlander Endgame. That's right. But um, uh, Donnie really knows what he's doing as as a martial artist, he, you know, and, and as a filmmaker and choreographer, he's very talented. Um, but he's, um, you know, uh, I saw that one. That I thought was really good. The other one I actually saw that I thought was really interesting. It wasn't a series. It was one. It was a 
And this is interesting. I think it's also come across, this is where the line between filming and martial arts has changed a lot, is that before when you saw a martial art fight, it was all cut up into pieces. You'd right. do three or four moves or five moves and you and cut and go to the end. But with the advent of what people are actually expecting to see on the screen now, you have more longer fights that need to be in the frame at that particular time. And there are some, uh, there was one I saw in a corridor and I can't remember, it was a Chinese fight. And it, the length of the fight was about three or four, two, two, three minutes. It was, he was in a corridor. He fought probably about 20 people. Nice. I mean, I'm not talking the, um, uh, um, what's, the, oh gosh, the film I'm thinking of now. Um, with, uh, no, I'm trying to think about it. I can't, I can't think of the name, but. Um, no worries. Because you know, a lot of movie fights are really like, they're over-exaggerated. The right. spins in the air and that, you know, which is great. Looks great, but it really, you know, you're not going to be doing that. You're not. You can't, you physically can't spin up in the air off the wall a lot of the time. Some people have that ability, but very few. You get, you know, some ridiculous stuff. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. All right. Yeah, how, so, about, how about favorite martial arts movie? Oh, I loved Enter the Dragon as a kid. Classic. I mean, you know, Enter the Dragon was a classic. And I'm looking at Bruce Lee's story, it was interesting because he, he was an he was a martial artist first, but then tried to become an actor and tried to show Hollywood that there's some new things happening here. And Hollywood really didn't understand it, and they they said no, no. And it wasn't until he he went to do the first success he had. I can't remember the name of it. It was either Kill. It was one success he had which the Big Boss. The Boss. That's yeah. it. Yes, yep. that, that's it. Uh, that made him kind of a star in in Hong Kong. That Hollywood went. Oh, wait a minute. There's something here. And then they made Enter the Dragon. And of course, the rest is history. Right. I liked it. There was Chuck Norris in there and understanding that Chuck Norris and um, Bruce Lee actually fought together. And Chuck said, you know, the thing about Bruce, he never stopped. He just never stopped when he was eating and drinking. How about this? And what are we doing here? And he would say, Bruce, can you just like slow down for a minute? He said, just all the time you wanted to do something. So it's like anything. I tell people that all the time when, I, when we do swords, I, I say, you know, if you want to do anything in life, doesn't matter if you're really talented of it. If you don't train, you're not going to get better. If you're not going to take the time to constantly do something, like my, my son who plays soccer, if you don't have the ball at your feet every single day, you're not going to be able to beat those other people that do. Because even people that don't have as much talent will get better. They will get better at that technique, et cetera, if they're doing it constantly. And that's what Bruce Lee did. He was constantly working at it. That's good. So do you have... Kind of, I'll ask martial arts question for you before I have one or two more other ones. But do you have a martial arts philosophy you've learned over the years that really you keep coming back to that is really important to you? Um, I think you have to respect your opponent in the sense of don't be too cocky thinking you can beat them. You know, you've got to respect the person that's in front of you and be aware that somebody else is going to beat you at some point. Somebody is. That's a great, simple. That's great, actually. <laughs> And then to move in a different direction, I also, one thing I've, I forgot to mention at the beginning, you also, you founded a nonprofit. I just take one or two minutes and, and talk about the Peace Fund, just a little bit about that and kind of how that became about. Yeah, Peace Fund was a, um, I always wanted to utilize what I've been able, what I've been given. And I think what martial art gives you that as well. It gives you the respect of, um, of other things, of other people. And so doing that and actually that's what one thing i must say i, I want to reiterate so go back to something we were talking about earlier about the difference between martial arts and mma mm -hmm. having the the structure and the respect in a dojo does teach you things in life and so i think some mma i don't think they just concentrate on the physical aspects of it rather than the cerebral and i think some of that cerebral aspect about you know 
listening and watching your teacher and saying, you know, getting on the mat and, and bowing and taking your shoes off and all those types of things really do teach you and, and form who you are. So I think that's very, very important. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Um, what was the question you asked me? <laughs> the Peace Fund. <laughs> oh, the Peace Fund. Sorry. So okay. the Peace Fund started because I wanted to give back to, to people. And um, uh, in Paris and a lot of people, I was being mobbed by kids. And, and I thought, you know, th- this is something I think, uh, no, I really want to give something to because um, kids, a lot of kids I'd seen didn't have anything. They, you know, they were living in the, the, the ghettos, the ghettos were in very poor housing. And I said, well, these are the kids that are going to shape our future. So I started the, the organization, the Peace Fund, Protect, Educate, Aid Children Every Day. And um, we started working uh, in Los Angeles uh, to start off with in 97 uh, under the auspices of Athletes and Entertainers for Kids, which Shaquille O'Neal was the figurehead for. And um, I, actually, <laughs> I actually did a, a, a hosted one of his, his events. And the guy is like, his, his elbow was up to my shoulder. It was huge. <laughs> it was absolutely massive. Um, and uh, from that point on, we, we, we were doing all those events. And then I stopped it for about a year and a half until the tsunami of 2002 happened uh, when my brother got involved in it. And uh, so we were raising money for the children there, the orphans, the kids that had lost families, et cetera. And um, we realized, you know, our benefit was actually being able to connect or raise funds for other connect with other charities and work together with them to, to raise funds, whatever project they've got. And so we did that for a number of years. And then we started working on our own projects. Um, we have a, uh, something called school makes it, uh, sorry, a uh, kids read to lead program, which came out of the school uh, makes a difference program that we had back in 97. And uh, so it's gone from that. And then we have our radio show each week, uh, which is called peace fund radio which talks all about different kids' issues, whether it's autism or um, literacy, pandemic issues, all, all this different stuff um, that I've been doing. Now I have over probably well, close to 650 hours, 700 hours or two wow. of, of podcasts to 2010, 11, I think it was 12, somewhere around there. Okay. I can't even remember now. We've lost count. But, we, <laughs> you know, that was totally – we did that through the through the Peace Fund. So, you know, and, and doing that – you. And I, this is something else I think is important through martial arts as well to understand is that as you connect, you start finding different things that you connect with other people. When you do that, you are able to grow and you get opportunities that you didn't think existed before. You would never have, you didn't have that connection. So even through the Peace Fund, what we've tended to do is we've connected with two or three different organizations, et cetera, that brought about some other thing that we were able to accomplish. Nice. And that is thepeacefund.org. I'll also put that link out there too. And also a link for your pod, both of your podcast. And then really quick last thing here is that, do you, is there an upcoming project you want to plug that you have coming out? I know on IMDB, it looks like you have a few completed and a few in pre-production and stuff. Any, any yeah, I've got, uh, I've got one called wildfire that's coming out on Netflix, I believe at the end of the year okay. um, that I did, which is actually funny because it's totally not what anybody's expecting me to do. Um, it's one my kids can actually go and watch, nice. you know, one of those, um, it's about a, a horse that's actually got some, uh, it's a, it's a cute little movie. Okay. Uh, so I did that. And then, uh, um, other than that, not really, I mean, you know, the, the things are in pre-production or working, you know, there's no point in talking about those because they may never happen Okay. because <laughs> okay. that happens. Although, you know, I, I do have a business in Europe that we're, I'm working on at the moment. 
Okay, perfect. Well, I know you have a, a hard cutout here. You have some place you got to be, but I, I appreciate your time immensely. I really enjoyed this, and I will put links for all your stuff, and, and I'll uh, send you an email when the episode's ready to go. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Work, uh, and hopefully I'll get to see you at my um, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis event. I hope so. If I can get the day off work, I'm going to drive down for it. So it's about a, about a three and a half hour drive for me, but it would be worth it. All right, fabulous. All right. All right enjoy the rest thank of your day, so sir. Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.